Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Blog Talk Radio's Trundle Bed Tales. This is your host, Sarah Utoff. And uh, tonight's episode is going to be about maple syrup. Uh, We had trouble, technical trouble last week, and hopefully everything will be straightened out here and we'll uh, get our uh, guests talking real soon. But before we get to that, I want to make sure everybody here feels welcome to Trundle Bed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trundle Bed Tales. Find us around the web under Trundle Bed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. This is episode 86 of Trundle Bed Tales. With Lynn Beluskill and the maple syrup history. And I am going to go ahead and because I think it is time for housekeeping. But if you hear that sound, which is the noise made by washing metal plates in a metal wash tub on the stove, then you know it's time for a little housekeeping. And here on Trundle Bed Tales, our housekeeping means giving you the information you may need about the show. If you ever want to listen to an episode live, but you don't want to just stream it through the computer, you can call in at... 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. That's toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. You can also use those same numbers to call in and ask a question and otherwise be on the show. Just Okay, Lynn, thank you. I'm glad I got a hold of you. Uh, and, <laughs> yes, oh my. Uh, and that it seems to be working this week. Now, uh, that was what was going on with my little housekeeping spiel. I was just telling everybody. Uh, so, uh, everybody out there, uh, I gave you the number. So, if you have a question, you can call in. I also have opened the chat room. So, if anybody wants to ask a question that way, they can. And we are going to, I think that's going to wind up our housekeeping, and then we will get right back to Lynn. So let me just close up. Okay. Now, that gets us back to our guest today, which is Lynn. And why don't we start out with you just going ahead and introducing yourself a little bit. Well, my name is Lynn Beluccio. Um I live in Leroy, New York, which um, is probably going to be remembered. Everybody will remember. It's the home of Jell-O. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so um, I'm the director of the Historical Society in Leroy and also the Jell-O Museum, the one and only. But I think why you and I are talking is because when my husband and I moved here, um, from Rochester when we were first married, uh, one of the first things we did was we built a sugar house. And uh, we were in the maple syrup um, business. Um, I say that because my husband worked for Kodak and I was teaching, but uh, we uh, we uh, boiled maple syrup for many, many years. Well, it... Uh, it- uh, well, the Jello part, I was hesitating because I was trying to think what, how much of the Jello stuff I should say, but we maybe want to <laughs> save that for another time. But yeah, uh, I, let, we'll have to talk about Jello sometime. Yes, Lynn, Lynn is known far and wide for her 
for Jello things. And really, the stuff they have done there, I mean, just from the pictures I have seen, it's quite remarkable. You even have a little uh, Jello wagon, right? That's the yes. We uh, uh, it's actually uh, mine. It doesn't belong to the museum. And uh, but there is a kind of a little bit of a correlation. Uh, somewhat sad, I guess, in some ways. But um, uh, my husband passed away uh, back in 1996, and um, and of course I live in the middle of uh, Maple Woods. Obviously, that's why we have the sugar house. And part of our job, if anybody has a, a sugar bush, as they call it, is you have to you have to trim it. I mean, you have to keep those trees nice and healthy. And um, so after my husband died, uh, and and we actually by that time I'd sort of gotten out of the sugar business because it takes quite a bit of uh, of work, and uh, it's not something you can really do alone. So it came uh, a couple years, and I thought, well, I really need to trim out some of these trees and um, uh, some of the maple trees, and it was sad to see them go, but uh, we knew that it would be for the health of the sugar bush to do that. And uh, so we cut down, uh, I I had uh, a forester come in, and we cut down some maple trees, and I had the money, and I thought, gee, you know, what should I do with that? And actually, we I used the money from... Uh, from cutting, uh, you know, the, some of the maple trees to build my jello wagon, a horse-drawn jello wagon, because we um, we showed horses. I have a a black Morgan stallion, and uh, we uh, used to drive them on carriages. And one of the uh, classes was what they called commercial classes, and I, I, we always wanted to have a jello wagon, so I had one made out in Xenia, Ohio, and. Uh, so, yes, I have a jello wagon, but like I said, there's a little bit of a story there with the maple trees. And it's sort of connected to Laura, too, because it's a Morgan, and everybody knows that Almanzo had Morgans. Yes, right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, we've had, um, uh, we bought our first Morgan, um, oh, golly, when my daughter was 12, and we started, my husband really liked it and started driving, and he called it his therapy, and uh we never collected sap with our horse. Um, that was uh, we always used a tractor. We we collected by hand. But uh, um, and I we've retired him now. He's 28. Uh, he was a grand champion, um, beautiful fellow, and uh, he's standing down at the barn right now, even as we speak, um, waiting for supper eventually. So. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Now, I, I think you said that uh, your background with maple syrup goes back further than, than your own sugar bush. Oh, yeah, a couple generations. Um, my mother's folks were from central New York, both um, uh, southern tier area, and then um, she had a sister, my aunt, who lived up uh, north. Uh, and, of course, the other connection up, uh, I mean, they went over to Malone all the time, and and uh, and that was uh, you know the other connection that you and I had talked about, and um, um, they were they were marginal farmers, um, and I remember as a kid going up to their farm. I think they might have milked maybe at the most maybe 18 cows, and uh, my uncle Carlton had a sugar bush, and um, we you know that was one of the things you do is you go up uh, in the you know January February to visit the relatives and. Uh, Go hang out at the the sugar house and uh, uh, and again a, a kind of a I guess a sad story about that was that uh, when they they moved from the farm and sold the farm uh, one of the things that they did because they like I said they were pretty marginal farmers uh, um, I know that my uncle had a tractor but I don't think it ever ran I, he did all his farming pretty much with horses. And they were pretty hard strapped to get their kids through college, so they cut down their sugar bush um, to the local bowling pin company. There was a a company up there that would um, turn maple trees into bowling pins, and so I still remember that story of having uh, him cut down his um, sugar bush for uh, bowling pins. uh, But then my my yeah my mother's cousin who uh, lives south of Syracuse. Um, I think that was easier to get to than going up into the North Country at that time of the year. And um, he had a sugar bush. And um, like I said, that was one of the things that we always did was to go down during sugar season and hang around out at the walk up to the sugar house. And um, um, and when we were first married, um, my husband, he was a city kid. So that was uh, horses and sugaring was something new to him. And uh, so he went up there and he said, "Gee, that'd be kind of neat." And uh, so we came back. In fact, my my mother's cousin, uh, his name was Ike. He, we actually 
um, he gave us some of the family's um, old wooden sugar buckets and uh, snap oh, really? buckets, and um, we had about twenty of them, and I still got. Still got about ten of them, I guess. And because um, when we first started, uh, my husband and I first started sugaring, it was one of these. Uh, we had a, you know, kind of a campfire and a, uh, a wash tub out in the backyard, while well, out in the woods, and mm-hmm. and we hung. I still remember the first time we tapped. We we had got bought some spiles, uh, some metal spiles, and we put those in the trees to collect sap. And uh, we we kind of underestimated, you know, what we were going to collect in. And we went to our, we had one of those nesting camp um, cook sets, you know, that had the, the three or four pots that were all nesting in each other, and they all had bales. Mm-hmm. And we had all of our camp cooking equipment hanging on our trees. Um, and we, I think we had maybe maybe 10 trees tapped or something of the sort. And uh, we collected sap in that for the first year. And then we decided we better do something better, and that was when we got the wooden buckets. And... Um, and that was always a chore, and anybody that's ever collected in wooden buckets know that um, the first thing you have to do is you have to soak them. And, of course, my uh, my mother's cousin would always, they'd put them in the creek, and uh, um, so they'd soak up and swell up so they wouldn't leak. Well, we didn't have that, so we, um, uh, for the first several years, uh, when we were still using the wooden buckets, our bathtub was always filled with, with sap buckets for um, three, four <laughs> days until they all swelled up. And um, um, that was part of the um, part of the, I guess that chore that people don't realize that you have to do. And uh, and of course the problem with wooden buckets um, with the wide mouth on top they um, they fill with snow so you have to we had went out and we bought the tin lids that go over the top to keep the snow and rain out of them. And uh, so you know we it kind of gradually grew from you know. 10, 12 spiles, and then we were up to 24. And uh, my husband would come home from work, and he'd go down to the um, into the woods because, like I said, we didn't have a sugar house at that time. And he'd sit there with uh, we had two um, galvanized tubs, you know, wash tubs, and um, he would boil in one and then finish off in the other. He'd sit down there in the snow and the rain, hunkered down on a on a tree stump. With uh, at that time we had a big Irish setter and the dog would go down and sit next to him and they'd sit down there and tend the fires and until we uh, had uh, something that was close to syrup and then we'd bring it back up to the house and finish it off. But okay. uh, then it kept expanding. He he really enjoyed that. It gave us something to do at that time of the year, and uh, so he decided he was going to build a a sugar house and we. Uh, we built a sugar house, and that was that was quite a project. It wasn't a real big one. It was kind of, you know, let's say, I don't know what it is. It must be about maybe 20 by, maybe 20 by 16. And um, we we purchased a small evaporator, commercial evaporator. Uh, it was wood fired, and uh, um, I was thinking today because I knew you were going to call. I was trying to think back those first those first couple years. We had a dirt floor in that sugar house which was a problem. It wasn't so bad when the beginning of the season started because the floor would be kind of hard. But then as it got started to thaw out, um, then it would get kind of muddy, and then it would get really dusty. And then we had a resident woodchuck who, um, in fact, he's still down there, I know, or at least his great-great-grandchildren <laughs> are. And, um, and about when it came time for him to kind of wake up after hibernation, he would dig a hole right up through the floor of the sugar house, <laughs> and we'd go down in the morning, and here would be a big pile of dirt, and he will have emerged from his winter sleep right in the middle of the sugar house. And uh, so at that point, we uh, Bob decided he would put in a uh, cement floor, and that was a little bit of modernization. But we still had kerosene lamps down there, and we were wood-fired for a long time. Um, and so that was another part of the chore was to split and uh, have enough wood to uh, go through sugar season. And uh, there was a lot of firewood um, that we handled. And, of course, off the side of the sugar house would be a, a shed for all that wood to season because you'd have to cut it the year before, so it would be seasoned for the next year. So that was part of the okay. project. People kind of... They romanticize about, you know, making maple sugar or maple syrup. There's a lot of work involved. 
There is. Yeah. I'm, I know. Uh, but let's kind of back up here for people yeah. who are listening who maybe haven't dealt with the process before. So yeah. what, what exactly is maple syrup? Well, maple syrup is um, actually it's it's um, a sugar um, that is derived from maple trees. You can get some sap from other trees you can use, but most everybody you know likes the the maple uh, flavor and the maple sugar. So um, it's kind of interesting historically because um, you know there's and I don't think everybody really agrees, but we know that the Iroquois Indian in this area they were. Um, um, they knew about the sap being sweet from maple trees, and there are Indian names and Indian lore about um, about the use of that and and how it started. and And um, and of course, before the they had metal um, pots and um, kettles to boil it down in, they would heat up stones and actually plunge those hot stones into wooden or bark containers to um, uh, boil off the water. Now the sap only comes up the and, and it does come up from the the roots of the tree uh, when it starts to warm up in the spring, and um, and so the sap starts going up the tree um, in uh, the layer just under the bark, and um, and so the object is to um, drill a hole or tap or slash, and uh, the process changed historically. Um, to get the sap to drip out, and uh, you'd collect the sap, uh, and like I said, you want to drive the water off. And um, uh, you know, early settlers, that was a source of sweetening. In some cases, we know that some of the early pioneers even talked about that they they basically lived on maple sugar um, at that time of the year because there was nothing else. I mean, that was before the um, you know anything was was growing, and so lots of times they were relegated to the spring to uh, tapping those trees and getting, um, you know, some sugar. And um, so it takes, they average, and it really depends. There's there's a lot of um, science to this in some cases. Um, but it usually averages about 40 gallons of sap to make a gallon of syrup. And um, so you've got you've to boil off 39 gallons of water. And um, at the beginning of the season, um, and again, that depends on where you are. This was a really lousy season for syrup. I, mean, I feel sorry for anybody that was involved with maple syrup this year because it warmed up, and and um, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But um, the um, uh, you know you you want to tap as soon as as they say when the sap runs, and and um, it, it's interesting again because some of this is folk tales, but. Um, you know, they'll say when you start seeing the crows fly or, uh, you know, certain things in nature will will give you an indication that it's time to tap. But, of course, the best thing is to go out and drill a hole in the tree. But um, uh, what you need is a warm day and very cold nights. And um, and if if you have a really warm spell, like we had this last year here around here is it warmed up and it didn't go below freezing at night so the sap doesn't drive up from the ground but the early sap the 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 first run is what they call it the first run is usually the sweetest your sugar content in the first run is is usually uh, got a higher sugar content and that's really what you want because you don't have to boil it as much it doesn't take 40 gallons to one it might be 35 might be even less sometimes um of course in the old days they didn't have the equipment to measure it um but um you know we use um hydrometers to um um figure out you know what the the uh, sugar content is um but the longer that the sap boils um it um you don't want to spend. You don't want the sap to spend a lot of time um, boiling because it actually starts to caramelize that um, that sugar. And so the first run usually was the lightest, and what was the best. And again, here's some more of the you know the story that um, quote unquote in the old days. In the old days, um, they wanted their maple sugar to be like white sugar. And so you paid more for white sugar 
maple sugar that didn't have much of a maple flavor because it was very much like white sugar. And um, and so they would call that um, uh, grade A. And so it, it sounded like it was a quality. Um, it really had much more to do with the flavor and the color. And you grade maple syrup by its color. And um, so old grading systems, and actually you have um, four or five little bottles, and in each one is a color of liquid, and, and you match your your syrup to that, and that'll tell you whether it's grade A, grade B, or what they call table grade in the old days. Well, people said, well, gee, we, we want to have the, the grade A, and they'd get it, and they'd put it on their pancakes, and they'd say, well, this doesn't have any flavor. Well, mm-hmm. that's because that was the first run. And um, so it didn't have much of a um, maple flavor. So about uh, maybe 30 years ago, maybe not quite that long ago, um, a lot of the uh, commercial syrup uh, uh, growers association, they changed the grading system. So today when you buy um, syrup, it's usually according to the color. So you buy am- you know, light amber, dark amber. Um, so it doesn't, you know, you buy it according to the color. The darker the color, usually the more robust the flavor, and a lot of people like that. Most of the people that I know that boil and make maples, they like that delicate flavor of that first run. But it, it's an acquired taste because it's not that strong, um, you know, mapley flavor. Um, so, you know, some of those stories are, like I said, based on what, what our uh, pioneer folks wanted once they wanted that white sugar. And, and they would not boil it down. They would take it past syrup. Um, when you're making maple syrup, um, you know, you boil it to a certain level. It has to be a certain density. You can measure that. Um, if you take it too far, as they say, you take it too far, um, it'll crystallize and you'll get sugar crystals in the bottom of the, the jar or the jug. Um, so that's really critical. Um, and uh, But the thing was that syrup didn't keep. And if you didn't have the technology or the equipment to can it, for example, um, you didn't take it to syrup. You took it further. You took it to maple sugar. And um, and so if you look at the store records of people, you know, farmers coming in and selling eggs and butter and cheese and things like that, they were selling maple sugar. They were not selling maple syrup um, at the local um, store and uh, because it was easier to keep. You would boil it, and, and then you could either pour it into molds, uh, wooden molds, uh, that would be like little bricks um, that you could pound it because it would be quite hard, um, or you could stir it so that it was, um, I wouldn't say it's granulated, but it's, um, you know, it, it you could take a spoon and, and go into it. And um, again, my, my uncle who did genealogy and my mother's family talked about my great-grandmother and grandfather uh, back, this had have been in the 1870s, I believe, um, how many pounds of maple sugar they stirred that winter. I mean, a lot, because it was a source of income for them. Um, but they would boil it down, put it in a big wooden trough, and then you just stir the living daylights out of it. you got to keep stirring, otherwise it will set up and be hard as a brick. Um, sort of the same way you make maple candy. Um, but, um, again, you know, those are all some of the, the differences between then and now. I mean, um, people cook with maple syrup today, but in those days they would have cooked with maple sugar. Um, and the tapping system has changed. Uh, we used to try the old ways. We had some old wooden spiles. In fact, we, my husband enjoyed trying to make some um, because you got to uh, hollow them out. And they're usually pretty long. Um, and the reason is that before people had um, buckets, um, they would make um, containers out of usually split basswood logs. They'd take basswood and maybe cut it in two-foot lengths, maybe a little bit shorter, and then you'd hollow out and make a, a trough out of it. And so the spile that would go into the tree would hang out maybe maybe a foot, and the and the sap would drip in onto the onto the trough that was on the ground. And um, and that was that was again a job that that men were hired to do. They would 
you know, say how many sap traws they had um, made during the winter um, to collect sap. And uh, uh, we we tried it once or twice. And uh, I remember at Old Sturbridge Village, Washington, they collected it up there um, the same way. And uh, you lose a lot of it. The wind blows a little bit. And the sap kind of blows away. doesn't hit the trough on the ground. And uh, so you can see why, uh, you know, technology... Um, the introduction of metal pails was really important because um, uh, it was easier to collect. And uh, and the whole, I, you know, there are people that collect sap spiles. Um, you know, I guess it's like a lot of other things that people collect. Um, there, there were all different kinds of patented sap spiles. Um, some of the early gash systems, which really were more injurious to the tree, um, they actually would take a, um, oh, it's maybe two inches, three inches gouge, and they'd actually gouge the tree. And then they would put in a metal, flat piece of metal. Um, it would, to me, it looks like a, a tire iron from a, a wagon. And they'd put that in the tree and collect the, the sap. One of the funny stories about um, upstate New York is that in the, I believe in the 1700s, um, the the men that came here thought that they could make a, a pretty good living out of um, making maple um, sugar. And uh, so they, in fact, they even came up with an idea that they would um, hollow out wooden um, logs. Um, they would split the log, a small log, and then make a trough in it, and they would collect the sap in a series of these troughs. The problem was that uh, when they tried that, the sun would hit those wooden troughs and they would warp, and so they'd lose all their sap. But the other thing that they didn't realize was that the sugar season was really only maybe two months, two and a half months. It, the, the sap didn't run all year long, so um, so their their business venture didn't really work out too well. Um, but uh, they th- there was they thought there was good money to be had that way, and. Uh, and I think I was telling you one of the great history stories about um, uh, during uh, the period of slavery, uh, there were uh, the abolitionists, of course, did not want anybody to use white sugar, the white cone sugar that was available, because it was produced by slave labor in the Indies. And um, so there was, they said, you know, the only sugar you should use is that that's untainted by slave, uh, slave. Uh, hands and uh, so there was a lot of of interest in um increasing the sugar production maple sugar production at that time it was simultaneous with the thought that maybe they could make um use sugar beets to make um beet sugar too but they they really were encouraging the abolitionists were really encouraging people to use um maple sugar which was kind of interesting but uh so yeah, and it, it 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 gets to be about you know the end of January and and uh, you know it's it's time to go out and tap those trees and and uh, it's um, there's nothing quite like it. We used to have people come to the sugar house and they would always ask for a a, a mug of of sap because they thought it was spring tonic to drink some of that maple sap um, <laughs> before we boiled it. So yeah. Okay. So we've we've gotten the the maple trees. It's the right kind of year, so the the sap's flowing, and then we yep. have a spile. The early mm-hmm. ones were you know kind of long and wood, but later, but mm-hmm. um, we most of them were metal then because that metal, was easier. Right? And, and, yeah. And the buckets were uh, early on; they were wood, and you would soak them right. so that so that the wood would. Stay in a circle and kind of swell up. Well, it would, yeah, the wood would swell because dur- yeah, during the summer the wood would dry out and the bucket would leak. Yep. And then yep. we've got to, to the the metal ones. Okay, so that's where we are in the process. So the next thing we're we going are. to to go through and collect all the sap, which right. um, which as you said, it would it's like forty. 40 gallons of sap to one of maple syrup, so it isn't quite as sweet as I think people who haven't had this experience think it is but it's yeah. you know it's it's like sweetened water water with a little sugar in it and it, and, and i would say for the most part most people would probably maybe have a glass of sap and not realize there was really much sugar at all in it yeah yeah because it's it's it might be one or two percent it's it's really pretty low yeah, yeah. so it, it isn't really like 
maple syrup is. It's it's not at all. No, no, no. no. It's it looks like water. Yes. So then uh, the next step would be gathering up the sap, and it and uh, they used to use you know horses, and it have like. Oh, I don't know. Did they have a tank they'd pull behind the horses? Well, or? yeah, they uh, they would collect with horses. We used to, um, when we first uh, did it, in fact, we used to collect with neck yokes because I would swear that, because um, there were special um, pails that you would pour the sap into that were larger than what was hanging on the tree. And, um, and they might be, oh, golly, I'm going to say maybe five, six gallons. And they're, and they're pretty heavy. I always swore that my arms were going to get about two, three inches longer every every syrup season because you'd hang, you know, two pails on it. So at that point, we found out that using a neck yoke to carry sap uh, from the trees to the collecting tank was, was a good way to do it. So we kind of did it the old way there for a while. And... Um, and then that you would fill up, you know, the the tank, and there are beautiful wooden ones that have, you know, remained uh, that might hold, oh golly, I don't know, maybe 50, 75 gallons, um, and then you'd bring that back to the sugar house, um, and then you would, you know, drain the sap from the tank into what we call the evaporator, um, and various kinds of evaporators. I mean, in the old days, it was just to, you know, maybe a big iron kettle um, that you would um, boil um, the water off. And, um, and that's, you know, in the, the wonderful old cuts, they show, you know, uh, uh, a party out in the woods, and they've got a big, one of those big iron kettles, and um, they just keep adding sap to it and, um, and waiting for it to, you know, boil down to maple syrup. Yeah. Now I was going to ask about that. As you uh, as you do see people continuing to add sap to it, yep. but uh, so you don't do it sort of like as as one batch and get it boiled down where you need to. You just keep kind of pouring it, more fresh in. Well, I, I know that what we did was that we basically would, let's say we're going to boil on a on a day, on a Saturday. So you'd start and you collect in the morning because sometimes it would take, you know, it would be maybe, I mean, that was, we, we used to keep track in a diary of, you know, when the sap was up. And um, sometimes the sap would run at 10 in the morning. Um, sometimes it would be 1 o'clock in the afternoon before you go collect sap. And um, And you don't want the sap to sit around because, if it's not cold enough, it starts to work because it's got sugar in it. It starts going bad. And mm-hmm. um, so you want fresh sap. And um, so let's say you collect enough sap to start, but you might not have enough. I mean, you want to finish off a couple gallons at a time. So you keep adding, you know, sap to it. Um, we frequently, when we were boiling, there were sometimes we boiled well until wee hours of the morning because we wanted to finish off that day, you know, the, the collection of that day. And um, so we would, you know, um, boil maybe until midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning. There were times when we boiled all night long because we wanted, you want to boil fresh sap. And there were times, and, and I, I can remember, you know, usually once a year uh, in sugar season, the sap would run all night. And you just couldn't keep up with it. And of course, the last thing you want to do is pour sap out. But there were a couple times when it was going to spoil, and we didn't want to paint the good syrup with bad sap. Um, it turns cloudy, um, has a terrible smell, and it, it, like I said, it starts to ferment, starts to work. And hmm. uh, so we would basically do one day's batch. Now, um, uh, of course, it's changed a lot today, and I, you know, uh, maple syrup business today is a lot different than it than it used to be. And and uh, but yeah, I mean, it was one day, and you might boil two or three days in a row, and then it would get really cold, and it would stop. And you might have to wait a couple of days, and then wait for the sap to come up the tree again. Um, and uh, you know, we like I said, I, I one of my prized possessions is um. About oh gosh, I guess about 15 years of notes that my husband would take. He would put down the temper overnight temperature, the temperature in the morning, the the time that the sap started coming up the tree, how much we collected, and how much we would draw off at the end of the day. Well, it it sounds like uh, that was 
it was a lot of work. I guess I hadn't realized that it was such a start and stop business. I was kind of thinking that it it ran until it quit and that was it. No, no, it was start and go, start and go, and and we would always, you know, that that was, it was, you never knew how long how long a season would be, and um, and we would keep track of that also um, because you could start in January, it could you could get a real hard freeze and you might not boil again for maybe three weeks, and then you'd boil for a couple of days and then it'd freeze back up again, and then you might you might have and one of the problems there is that. Um, if it warmed up, see if you put your if you put your taps in in January, for example, if you're still boiling in March, your sa- the the spile holes start to get start to get bad. They they start to get a uh, uh, just like the sap, they start turning bad. And so the worst thing you ha- that can happen to you is you got to go around and you've got to re-drill those holes. You don't want that to happen. So. Um, that's that's another thing that pe- people don't realize is that um, sometimes the saps. In fact, when the sap would really get bad, it would actually clog up the the spiles so that it, it was like a like Vaseline. I don't know how else to describe it. It was just goopy, and yeah. you'd have to go pull the yeah pull the spiles, clean out the the hole, maybe re-drill it a little bit, and put the the spile back in, and um, so. Yeah, I mean, and people don't, you know, those are all things that you kind of have to consider about doing. And um, uh, I remember a couple of years, our, you know, the spiles closed up because once you pull that spile out at the end of the season, that the tree starts to grow back in and fill the hole in. And and so that's something that I mean, the tree wants to do that. It wants to close up that wound, and um, so you. uh, it it can start doing that during the season, and that can be a real problem. But it doesn't uh, hurt the tree long term, right? The, no, that not uh, there. Oh. There's all sorts of, um, uh, you know, you shouldn't have so many. It depends on the size of the tree, how many, how many taps you should have in it, um, and and you don't tap in the same spot that you tapped last year, um, and. Um, and that's another kind of interesting thing about um, cutting maple trees that are in a sugar bush is the fact that when a forester comes in and they want to cut maple trees for maple, you know, maple lumber, if you've got a sugar bush, you lose about three foot up from the stump, maybe even more, um, that they can't huh. use because you've got, if you were to cut that tree and look at the cross section, you can see where all the spiles were. And that was that was always neat at my, my mother's uncle's place because they would, you know, they had some huge big trees that probably were, I don't know, 200 years old or something of the sort. And they'd been tapped for probably 100 years. And when when they were cut down, you could see, you know, all the spile marks um, in the where, the where they'd been tapped, you know, huh. year after year after year. Um but you probably, uh, you know, a tree maybe, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. I, I'd have to go back and check uh, to make sure. But usually a tree that's about 20 inches in diameter, might you might put two two spiles in it. But um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to injure the tree, and that's that's part of the problem too. So, yeah. Um, but and then, like I said, once you start boiling, then you've got to keep track because you can burn it. Um, you can it can be burning so you know boiling so much that it goes into sugar so quick that it'll it'll burn the, the all of a sudden you look in there and you got you know black tar. I don't know how else to describe it. And um, so usually most people when they're making um, maple syrup, they will what they say they will finish it off. In a finishing pan, they'll have us. Uh, uh, some people, you know, small people, small um, uh, sugar bushes, they'll finish it off in the house. You have to be careful because you do too much of that boiling. If you got any wallpaper, it'll come right off your walls. But uh, uh, it's like having a steamer. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. That- and and that was something I was going to say too. That's why you have the sugar house separately. I don't know yeah. uh, how many of those listening have dealt with boiling things off, but uh, yeah. if you do, it's it's you know very humid. It's like when you're trying to can yeah. things in the summer. And and on yeah. top of that, since this is not just water, it's syrup. There's that sugar element. 
So it yeah, gets on things. And yep. it deposits all over the walls. It deposits all over the floor. <laughs> it deposits I, yeah, everywhere. It, so you do oh, not yeah. really I, want this in your kitchen no, no. in I your mean, nice house. If if you have, you know, if your house needs some humidity in the wintertime, it's good for a little bit. But, you know, to finish it off in the house, I mean, you, you don't want to, you know, put that much water in the atmosphere in your house. You can run into problems. But, um, and, and like I said, uh, uh, most people have what they call finishing pans, and they're usually... Um, you know, tin, um, uh, maybe stainless steel, but usually our, our evaporators, the finishing pans were always dipped tin, English tin, and uh, and God forbid that you burn them because boy, it was hard cleaning that that burned sugar off. Um, oh yeah, and burnt and you and you'd lose terrible. the whole batch. You'd lose, you know, and it, it, that was, you know. That was the worst thing that could happen, you know. And you could, I'd be up at the house, and I could tell immediately, oh my gosh, they burned the pan because you could smell it up to the house. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and then they'd have to take the evaporator down in the woods and put water in it and and uh, scrub it down because uh, you had to get rid of every little bit of charring on it because otherwise it would it would uh, it would flavor the syrup and give you a burn flavor. Yeah, so. which is not good. Yeah, but the evaporator, you know, they started introducing um, uh, evaporators, um, which I'm in the middle of the 1800s, and farmers could buy evaporators, um, and everybody, you know, had a better idea of how to do that. But they're basically huge, big, flat pans. They talk about having flues in them, and what it is, it's like a corrugated bottom. I mean, it goes up and down. What you're trying to do is... Uh, expose the sap to as much surface as you can. And so, you know, the, the bottom isn't just always flat in the what they refer to as the back pan. And um, so that, you know, you wanted to get a nice rolling boil. And, um, and then the sugar houses were built with vents in the top so that the steam would go out through the top. And, uh, and then there were regulators that uh, would regulate the amount of sap because you'd boil it off in the back pan. It would get to a certain density, and then it would automatically fill the front pan, which is the finishing pan. And, um, and that was all controlled by um, a little floating device, which was kind of handy. But woe be you if the float got stuck. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you have to watch it all the time. We used to go down to the sugar house, and it was like you didn't, you know, you they say, you know, watch pot doesn't boil, but if you don't keep watching what's going on in the sugar house in that evaporator, you can run into, into trouble in a big hurry. So, but, uh, yeah, it's um, it's like watching go in the sugar house. It, it, it's sort of like, I guess, watching grass grow. I mean, you're just watching the pot boil to make sure that it doesn't burn or that everything's going okay. And, uh, uh, but it's, um, uh, like I said, I think that if you, most people that have gotten involved with, uh, making maple syrup, it's kind of, a it's, it's just, I don't know, I guess you can say it's in your blood, but you, that time of the year, you, the weather starts getting and you think, geez, I need to go and put a, you know, tap the trees and, uh, collect some sap and, uh, boil it down. And there's a, a wonderful, I don't know, aroma of of boiling sap that is um, um, just a it's a breath of spring, I guess we say. So. Well, uh, one thing uh, in the little house in the big woods where Laura's talking about uh, going through this making maple syrup process, yeah. uh, they talk about having a big dance, and you'd said that your family, you know, went to visit relatives when they were doing that. Was having yeah. some kind of uh, entertainment, sort of a normal thing that would happen? Well, I think that, um, I mean, I don't remember ever my mother's cousins dancing, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there, you know, it's like, what do you do when, you know, everybody's sitting around, you know, uh, stoking the fires because you got to keep the fire going. Um, you know, somebody might uh, have a harmonica, you know, they might be, you know, telling stories, that sort of thing. Um, you know, it was a time, there wasn't much else to do that time of year, um, you know, uh, and so it was a time to kind of get together, and, and I think all the people that, that remember the, you know, sugar time, um, it was with great fondness of families getting together, friends getting together, it was like a, 
you know, it was like a barn raising or a bee. You'd get together and, um, and you know, everybody bring a, you know, uh, a dish to pass. Uh, maybe have, uh, we had many meals um, down in the sugar house because uh, we sugared with a, a neighbor and uh, his wife would call and she'd say, what do you, you know, what are we going to do for supper? And we'd put together some supper and go down and the four of us would, would have supper down in the sugar house. We also had a good friend, and I'm sure this isn't in the story of uh, Little House on the Prairie, but we uh, were in the big woods that uh, we had a friend that would always bring us um, uh, Maple House or Sugar House Manhattans, which is a you know alcoholic beverage that instead of using uh, uh, it, it's made with maple syrup, which is kind of interesting. So um, we would have those um, uh, before dinner, and then uh, we always knew that it was getting towards the end of the season because we would switch to gin and tonic. But, uh, uh, you know, it was just part of, the, I guess, the whole socialization of, of having the sugar house and uh, and being down there, um, sitting around the fire. We, um, My mother's cousin one time talked about they were running out of firewood, and um, they stoked the fire with um, some railroad ties. Well, the creosote and the railroad ties was so hot Got that fires it almost melted the front iron doors on their evaporator. They watched the iron doors mm. glow um, because the fire was so hot. Uh, I guess they came close to burning up their evaporator pan too. But uh, no, it was a time for you know the kids to come and they help collect. Um, uh, that was you know that was a lot of a lot of work to collect all that sap. So the kids I'm sure were sent out to help collect. Um, you know, sap and bring it to the sugar house. Um, so, my my kids grew up. You know, uh, that was uh, that's what you did in January and February. You go down and see how Dad was doing down at the sugar house, um, and uh, sit there and you know, kind of enjoy the fire and try to stay warm. And and uh, uh, there was no TV. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's true. If you were in a place that wasn't uh, uh, that that your house wasn't the best insulated, I imagine that I, I can imagine how warm a sugar shack would be in comparison. Because you just have to have it going to keep it up oh, yeah. and boil. I mean, that would yeah. have to be a big fire yeah. all the time. It, it was always funny because every so often there'd be an what we call an inversion, and the steam would not go up through the through the roof, and it would kind of hunker down. And and it would usually come down about neck level, and you couldn't see anything. It was like being in a cloud, and huh. um, and it had to do with some you know change in the atmospheric pressure or something of sort or the wind direction. But it was always funny because we, <laughs> it was always uh, you know you, you end up kind of hunkering down because you, there was nothing you could do to to you know get it to go out until it the wind changed or whatever it is. But and and um, so that was always kind of funny. And then we used to cook in the evaporator. Uh, we used to um, we used to boil hot dogs in the back because <laughs> um, sure. you you know you just toss a couple hot dogs oh that and hard boiled eggs um, we take an egg and put it in the back pan or you could you know hard boil your eggs back there um, until the time we there were two eggs that we never did find we don't know whatever happened to them <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they got lost I think they just kind of pulverized or something of the sort but we used to cook in the evaporator um, huh. you know. Yeah, yeah, and that, and of course the other story, and and I have to be honest with you, does does Laura talk about making jack wax? Not by that does she name. Talk about, okay, what it is is you boil the sap to a certain level. It's not. It's mm-hmm. a little bit thicker than syrup. Okay. Uh huh. And um and so they would take dishes of fresh snow, and oh, and yeah, pound it yeah. so that it was nice and hard, and then you would pour the hot um uh syrup and like i said it's thicker than regular it's almost it's like softball candy okay mm-hmm. but if you pour it on the snow and you could pour your you know you could write your initials you could write your name you could make designs and then it was like eating taffy it was so yes. good yes you talked was, about that she just called it maple syrup candy what what did you say you called it it's called jack wax jack wax huh and um, it's so good. In fact, just talking about it, thinking, oh, my gosh, I need to go make some. But we don't have any snow anymore up here. It's all melted. <laughs> but, uh, 
But um, oh, so good that, and then you have to have that, and then you got to have the the um, uh, jar of dill pickles because it's so sweet. You need something to, you know. So you have jack wax and dill pickles. So I'm not going to let you get off that easy. I want more instructions on this jack wax. So you said you pound the snow hard. You don't usually. It isn't just like light snow that you pick up. Well, it's got to be it's got to be fairly hard. It's got to have a fairly hard surface. Uh, otherwise, if you put the hot maple syrup on it, it will you know it, it, it'll go right through the snow. So you take and you pack snow really hard, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like a snowball, except that you fill a you know you fill a pan with it or a cake pan or something with it. And you, I mean, you can use crushed ice, okay, but mm-hmm. um, but. You know, in the wintertime, you got clean snow, you do that. And then you have to, um, you can't do that in the evaporator. You kind of have to make it in a separate pan. But you you take some maple syrup and you start to boil it. And you can use a candy thermometer if you, you know, if you want to get technical about it. And so I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the temperature. But it's basically the softball candy. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever... Yeah, you know, and you you pour the sugar into the ice water, and it's sometimes you know you know that it's ready right. to go because it you uh-huh. know, okay. Well, you do the same thing with maple syrup, and when it starts to you know it's not quite it's not going to turn it into really hard candy, but it's going to be just before it turns into hard candy. You pour it on, you drizzle it onto the snow, and we used to you know we used to write the kids' names, <laughs> you know, or we would make you know, designs with it, you know, swizzle it onto the snow, and then you'd eat it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so good. Did you, uh, when you, did you pour it, or did you just use, like, you know, a honey dipper or something? Pick a spoon. Pick a spoon. spoon? You know, spoon and kind of drizzle it on. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got to do that. Yeah. Um, And, of course, now, you know, if you go to... Oh, you go to the state fair or something, you know, they make snow cones with maple syrup. But this is, like I said, this is not snow cone. This is not, you know, it's much, it's more candy-like. Snow cones are Mm -hmm. like snow cones. Yeah. Well, and and the same thing is true with making maple candy, you know, and you can do that. And, and, you know, the the little wooden molds or the little, um, you know, tin molds that you can make maple candy. You just have to Mm -hmm. keep stirring that candy because if you do it. I mean, you really want it so that it's creamy, and that's you know, the, um, so that it doesn't crystallize and become hard. And that's a whole. You, know, you got to have finesse to do that. <laughs> finesse mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, but yeah. Well, so, and I'm I have. So glad. <laughs> yeah. I was just saying, I'm so glad to get to you know because I actually there is a recipe for do this in the Little House Cookbook. Uh, by Barbara Walker, and I hadn't ever tried it, but yep. uh, and I don't think it's said to pack the snow hard. So I, I'm yeah. always glad to get get uh, suggestions for people who have actually done stuff and know oh, what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> well, I, I think that whole thing, I mean, people think of maple syrup just going on pancakes, but, um, um, you know, the people that are in maple syrup production – I mean, I have a phenomenal salad dressing recipe that's made with um, maple syrup. Um, you know, you can, like I said, you can use it as substitute in, in lots of recipes, but you have to treat it differently than, for example, molasses or something like that because you want to get that mm-hmm. subtle flavor. And I used to, like I said, we, we hadn't syruped. Our, uh, when my husband died, I, like I said, got out of the business. We sold off the evaporator and all that sort of thing. But every um Spring, not this year because the weather was so lousy. I mean, too warm. Um, I would tap about four trees. I collect the sap, and I had one of those turkey um, boilers, you know, with the the gas, the propane oh, gas, yeah. and I would make, uh, you know, maybe a quart of maple syrup, and uh, um, every year, um, just to say that I did because I didn't want to pass it up because it's it's like I said, it's in your blood, and. Uh, but then you want to, you know, I, I wanted to give some to my daughter and my son. And uh, so I gave some to my daughter, and then I found out my son-in-law was using it in his coffee. And I, I said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you cannot put, <laughs> maybe, you can put it in tea, but you cannot use it in coffee. I won't give you any more. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, uh, 
the other thing I wanted to share with you is, is uh, there are two books. We when we got into this, it was um, there's a book called The Maple Sugar Book, and it's by Helen and Scott Nearing, and it is it is a wonderful read. They talk about the history, they um, they talk about you know the influence of the Indians, um, uh, they talk about the sugar bush. Um, and it's it's a wonderful book, and and it's just so much fun to read, and um, and that's a neat book. And then one of our other ones was um, a little book. I don't even know when it was published. I mean, we bought it back in the '60s, and it's called The Amateur Sugar Maker, and it's by a, a guy by the name of Noel Perrin, P-E-R-R-I-N. Again, a neat little book. Um, that talks about how he builds his sugar house and and how he's you know gotten interested in uh, making maple syrup and he kind of uh, equates his sugar house to throw and <laughs> it, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a wonderful little story and uh, uh, he's got a sugar bush up in uh, in Vermont so and of course since then there's been lots and lots of books on uh, maple syrup and of course the commercial syrup producers it's a it's a whole different realm by using reverse osmosis and plastic tubing and stuff. I mean, we had plastic tubing. At, at the peak of when we were boiling, we had 1,200 taps in. Oh, and, gosh. Uh, oh, yeah. We were we were producing um, the one winter, the one spring that we topped over 500 gallons of maple syrup. Hmm. And... Um, it was a lot of work, a lot of a lot of wood, <laughs> and uh, uh, to burn. But uh, yeah, we had 1,200 taps, and which was pretty good for an amateur, you know, um, mm-hmm. amateur uh, uh, maple syrup production. Uh, we called it the Northern Light Maple Syrup Company oh. uh, because we can see the we can see the northern lights from our place, and uh, really, and they are yeah. So. Uh, and uh um and and about the tubing if um and the reverse osmosis yeah. if you guys if you ever get a chance to see a modern and and now I'm talking yeah. to the listeners uh if you ever get yeah. a chance to see a modern uh sugar bush it is completely different i got to see one uh that was set up in northern ohio a couple years back yeah. and it was they they have tubes hooked to all the different trees yeah. and then it sort of vacuums the Yep. The, yep. The sap They're out. Sap I, They're called sap suckers. They're called sap suckers, and uh, it's a little uh, vacuum uh, pump that they put on, and it and it actually you don't need to collect the sap by gravity. Um, one of our systems, it was a gravity um, drain, so that the the tubes went from each spile into a a main line, and then you'd collect in a you know uh, a big vat. Um, but then when you had some areas where you didn't have enough elevation, enough drop, we put, we had a, a vacuum pump on our uh, on our tubes. Problem we had was the squirrels kept chewing through the tubes because they liked the sweetness of the sap. So we had an out, all-out war on the squirrels in our area. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so. think that happens a lot for various things. <laughs> And it and it certainly does seem like maple syrup really does kind of um, get in the culture. It's I mean it isn't just the little house books that that have it. There's no. a, a, uh-uh. a windy a windy foot book that's all about maple syrup. Uh, there's a uh, miracle on Maple Hill, which is you know a, yeah. a classic. It just seems yeah. like it's a big part of the culture in in that northeastern part of the United States kind of. Sliding it is in northern Midwest, right? And everybody associates it with Vermont, but of course, you know, um, New York maple syrup producers, um, and of course, Canadian. Um, you know, there's it's it's big business. It really is, and they're very protective of the health of um, environment for maple trees because um, we've had you know some devastation um, with various kinds of things, and they're very concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we just have been it's been an entire hour now, and you realize that? <laughs> well, so, um it I it's been fun. I I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk. <laughs> Sometime we'll talk about Jello. <laughs> yes, I I hope you will come back in and talk about that Lynn because I really I think we've got a lot of good information about maple syrup tonight. It's something that they talk about, you know, it's it's a 
couple chapters in Little House in the Big Woods, but it's something that yeah. really uh, I think stands out for a lot of people. So to hear someone whose family actually was producing Sap back then was a pretty cool chance for everybody, and to learn about the the Jack Jack does is that how you said it? Jack wax, Jack wax, Jack wax, Jack wax. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that that is what it's really supposed to be called. So other people will know what we're talking about. That is a good thing. Okay, and you're <laughs> gonna you're gonna let me know. You're gonna email me after you've you've made some and tell me what you think of it. But make sure you get some dill pickles next but next to you. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> well, uh, thanks, Lynn, and okay. thank you for everybody for listening to this episode of Trundle Bed Tales. I hope that uh, you will remember to brighten the corner where you are and listen for our new episodes next month. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.